Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we get into a little trouble in our show inspired by the classic TV game show title, Jeopardy. As part of our season, Be in the Game, we begin with featured storyteller Tyra Benoit, followed by special guest Katie McConnell. Then, song from our guest musician Lori Lorraine Gilbert about some buffalo in Jeopardy, followed by featured storyteller Alex Mwibwe. But first, why not a musical nod to Jeopardy from our guest musician on an instrument that could cause trouble? The musical saw. It's game time, and it's story time. Stay safe. You know, last April, I was walking the green belt outside of my home in in Eagle, Idaho, beautiful spring day, and I realized that I had a problem. I'd been through grief before, but this was quite different, and I needed to make a decision. It brought me back to another beautiful day, October 2017, It wasn't the spring, it was the fall, but I was living in Santa Rosa, California. And my husband and I had both just retired from successful teaching careers. And we had just remodeled our home and we were living what we thought was the good life and in a little piece of paradise um, in Santa Rosa, middle of wine country, 30 miles from the Pacific Ocean. Our day had begun with a great um, trip about 45 minutes south to a film fest. And we came home a little bit early and we noticed that the, the wind had really picked up, that it was howling. And it was a sound that I'd never quite heard before. I thought I'd gotten used to these winds up on the ridge. There was a little bit of a whiff of smoke and Later, we learned that these winds were going 90 miles an hour. I went to bed, tried to go to sleep with the howling winds outside the door. My husband's a little bit of a night owl. He stayed up and I heard the landline ring, which I thought was really strange because nobody calls landlines anymore. And if it was this late at night, it had to be one of my kids or some sort of other issue. My husband came upstairs and he said, we just got a reverse 911 call. And what that means is that we have to evacuate right now, immediately. The first thing I thought of was our cat, who was by this time a little bit skittish because of the wind. And so I took her and put her in the bathroom, locked her in so that she wouldn't be able to escape. And then started running around the house, gathering things together. Photos, my kids' graduation, our wedding photos, heirloom Christmas ornaments, a box with some important documents, new and old laptops, our passports, and I threw them into the car. I packed a little bit of a suitcase. My husband said, don't worry, we'll be back. This is just an evacuation. And so we left, driving both cars out, not knowing exactly what we were going to do, 
but we had decided to meet at this little market um, about a mile from our home. We got down to the base of our hill, and by this time we could see the red intense light on the ridge behind us. And we realized as we turned that we had gone the wrong direction. What we were doing was going right back to the freeway that we had just come north on. But we realized that now that was not a safe place to be. We could see a school that was already consumed by flames. The fire was heading towards the freeway. And by this time had started to jump the freeway and housing development. My cat, as you can imagine, is in the back seat howling, trying to figure out what's going on. And unlike Idaho drivers, most of the Bay Area is not known for its courtesy. So when we realized that we were driving right into the fire, we had to turn around and no one panicked. Everyone was curious and we turned directions and went north to a Home Depot parking lot with hundreds of other people. By this time, we realized that the freeway was closed in both directions and we had to decide what to do. At the time, we still kept thinking, well, the fire that we saw was south of our neighborhood, so it's going to be fine. And my husband kept calling me on the cell phone saying, everything's going to be okay. We'll be back. We got to the Home Depot. We were listening to the community radio. We realized that we weren't going to be going back that evening, so we tried to decide what to do. My husband needed gas in his car. We couldn't decide what we were going to do if we didn't have enough gas to make it farther north. So we just drove a few miles to a friend's cul-de-sac. And at this point in time, all of Santa Rosa was really still asleep. Most people didn't know what was going on. And so our friends, we had called them, but they hadn't picked up. So we just sat out in our cars overnight, waiting to see what would happen. I was encouraged by the fact that we kept getting notifications from our thermostat that humidity in the house was dangerously low, but I thought, well, it's still communicating. My husband kept calling the landline, the voicemail that would come on just as we had seen it before. And as soon as our friends woke up at dawn, we started talking about what we should do. And at that point, we got a notification. It was about eight o'clock in the morning. We got a notification that our security system was calling us and telling us that the, um, there'd been a break-in at both the front and back doors. So at the time we thought, oh, that's great. Looters, our house had survived the night and it was just facing some of those kinds of threats. However, as the day went on, it became abundantly clear that the fire had shifted and was now moving a little bit north. And by that evening, we found that we had lost our home along with 5,200 other Santa Rosans and 23 people would eventually die in this Tubbs fire that was October, 2017. A year later, the Tubbs fire was dwarfed by the campfire in paradise. And we too had connections to that community. That's where we had met. Our children had been born there. I taught at the middle school and at the community college in Butte County. And in that particular fire, it was my friends texting and saying, I don't think we're gonna get out of here. 
They were stuck in traffic, the flames lapping at their cars on the ridge. And one of my friends, because we did go up there to help with their insurance struggles, one of my friends said to me, you know, it's kind of like a different kind of grief. You're still alive, but a part of you has died. And yes, I will say that a part of me did die in 2017. And because of that, and because of the suffering that I saw with the campfire in paradise where 16,000 structures were destroyed and 85 people died, I threw myself into climate activism. I'd always been an environmentalist, I'd been involved in the civil rights movement, but this was something that became abundantly important so that other communities wouldn't face what we had faced. And in the process of doing this, we moved to Eagle, Idaho. At the time, we thought we could stay there. And I think we're some of the only Californians that made the move to Idaho, but eventually decided to move back. And so we left Idaho, and that's why I'm speaking to you from California today, because it was so hard to forget the jeopardy that we'd been through. Most people don't understand why we didn't stay. Most people don't understand why we would move back to an area that's still threatened by wildfire, still threatened by drought, and in fact has faced a number of wildfires in the past year. But I think that it's because the people and the community that I'm a part of has helped me to overcome that part of me that had died. And somehow it's comforting to be around others who faced the same struggles. Now we live about 10 miles north of Santa Rosa. We couldn't go back to our lot. We didn't wanna go back to our lot because it was in that wild fire interface and we felt that it wasn't smart to rebuild in that forest. So we're in town in a little community called Healdsburg. And during the pandemic, at the beginning, the community would come together and howl in support of the medical first responders, the sheriff's deputies, just for all the work that they had done. They're revered in the fire um, departments are revered in these areas. And what happened when that howl came out of me, it was not just recognizing what these individuals were doing, but it was a part of me also dealing with that grief. And so with the activism and what I've been able to accomplish working on the issues of climate change, our county is now the first in the entire United States where all jurisdictions have declared a climate emergency and we're making progress. And so I think that's the way my grief, my problem, so to speak, will be healed. Thank you for letting me share my story. Oh, thank you so much, Tyra, for sharing that story with us.
the secret land of snakes and brush where the homestead dreams were born the old wild west whispers a wish for the bison herds to be reborn ten thousand years have passed through lore the mighty bison herds are falling once more soon they will be no more no more forever no more and final days but as time has drifted and the winds have shifted now the land calls out for bison calves to grace ten thousand years have passed through lore the mighty bison herds are falling once more soon they will be no more no more forever no more Frontier has been broken today. The bison's fate has been preserved. Ten thousand years have passed through lore. The mighty bison herds are falling once more. Soon they will be no more, no more forever, no more. No more forever, no more. That song was about some land that my parents sold in Colorado, um, and the people who bought it actually are, are some people who were trying to save the, the bison herds in Yellowstone, and they all kind of, um, they have this disease called brucellosis, and so they need to raise some herds apart from there, so that's what they're doing on that land. And now we have reached our last featured storyteller of the evening. This is not his first time participating with Story Story Night, but it is a little different because he was in a video production that we launched this year with uh, Blue Sky at, in, at Boise State University that was called Starry Story Night Libra. But tonight we have him. He gets to tell us the story uh, without being interrupted with video edits. Please welcome Alex Mwiwe. you guys doing? Woo! Oh, pretty, I feel pretty nervous, but I'm going to do it, and I'm ready. Anyway, um, I remember back, uh, back in 2016, um, just, just a new kid in the country, a sophomore, uh, back at Bora High School. That's where I started school. Um, I just, I didn't like school at the beginning. It was just... I don't know, I couldn't speak no language, I couldn't speak any English. 
I couldn't make any friends with nobody because I was, I was just a pretty shy kid. Just who am I gonna talk to? And uh, I just remember one day uh, I met, I I started making friends, and uh, just one day I end up just you know hanging out with my friends. I didn't go to school, but when I came back home, my dad was just in his room, just sitting, minding his own business. Uh, he had a, a cup of coffee drinking, and he had his glasses on, sunglasses. And then when I, when I get in, he was like, hey, where are you coming, man? I was like, oh, I just, I just came back from school. I was like, no, you didn't go to school. I was like, dad, I just came back from school. I was like, no, you didn't go to school. I just got a call from your counselor that you didn't go to school. I was like, oh my God, I'm in a big trouble. I knew I didn't get in school. I knew I didn't go to school, but I didn't know in U.S. that <laughs> counselors, they will call your parents to let your parents that you don't go to school or you didn't attend school. I didn't know all that because I didn't care. Like, But my pops got a call. Hey, uh, your son Alex, he didn't attend a class today. And then I didn't know my dad would know anything. or I didn't, I didn't know the counselor would call my parents that I didn't go to school. So... My dad was like, okay, well, I'm going to punish you because you didn't go to class. I was like, dad, I was in the class. Trust me, I was in the class. I had my backpack on. And then I showed him, dad, you can see I have my backpack on. I was in the class. He's like, no, I just got a call from school. You didn't go to class. I was like, oh, my God. I didn't know this is, exists. That, like, counselors can call parents to tell a student that they didn't go to school. Well, I end up getting in trouble, obviously. My parents end up punishing me. They were like, oh, you have to stay in your room. Blah, blah, blah. You can't do this and that. Well, it was just, okay, whatever. I I was like, okay, well, so this is what happening. Like, if you don't go to school, like, the counselor or the teachers, they call your parents. So, but that didn't make me to, that obviously gave me much confidence to, like, to go to school so that I won't get in trouble with my parents, because I don't, I don't like getting in trouble with my parents. But I just remember back then where I grew up, back in the refugee camp, uh, I didn't go to school at all. My sibling didn't go to school, so it was, I didn't really have any experience about school or anything. So it was just kind of hard living in the refugee camp with my family for 10 years, and growing up without no food, no education, no clothes and all that stuff. But the government of Malawi or the government of the country that I came from, they didn't provide any job for people. So I was the oldest kid in the family. I was like, what should I do to, like, to provide for my family? Because the refugee camp, they don't provide any food or anything. So I started selling water on the street, uh, selling peanut selling the small things just to provide something for my family. And my parents, they both didn't have jobs back in the refugee camp. And I would do that every single day, every single morning, just to go on the street, sell water, sell peanut, and all that stuff. But I remember one day, um, I was just on the street selling water, minding my own business. Um, These few guys from nowhere, I didn't know where they came from, they came and steal my money that I made. And it was 
one of the day that I'll never forget, they just steal my money and they run away. I was like, oh my God, why would you take my money that I work for? Like, this is the money that I'm providing for my siblings, my parents, to buy food, clothes, and all that stuff. But I didn't give up to like to, to hustle or to push myself to help for my family. Um, I I went and talked to my parents. Hey, I, Dad, Mom, I made this couple bags, but people steal it from me. They take it away from me. Uh, well, my parents were like, you gotta keep up. You know, this is this is life, and you gotta learn from this. You gotta learn where to put your money. And I just one day I took a day off for myself. I obviously giving myself a day off. Uh, I was just sitting somewhere, a tree, and then I was starting asking myself question: Is this being on the street selling water? Is this who I wanna be? Or doing this and that? Is this who I want to become, or is this is this my life for the rest of my life? Like, is this is this what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life? Selling water, being on the street, doing nothing. Is this who I want to be? Is this who I want to become? But I knew that's not the person who I want to become, and I knew that's not who I was, because I knew one day that life is gonna change, and I'm gonna become who I want to become. But Unfortunately, yes, uh, my family flew to the United States. So it was one of the biggest achievements that I and my family have achieved. We came to Idaho uh, back in 2016. Uh, life was hard, obviously. Like, the new language, uh, parents didn't get jobs because they couldn't speak any English. Obviously, you have to, like, you have to speak a little English to get a job in the United States. But... They had to like take couple uh, classes to like you have to take like English classes to like to, to get job in the United States, and well after a few years life started you know I graduated from high school, and now I'm a CWI student, sophomore student, and I'm I'm very thankful I'm the first born to go to college I'm very happy with that, and I'm just confidence that now I'm finally who I want to be, you know, going to school. Because back then in the refugee camp, I didn't have any opportunity or any chance to go to school. But here in the United States, I'm able to go to school and I'm able to achieve any dream that I want to achieve. I want to become what I want to become. And But college is not easy, though. It's, it's pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Especially, like, a new kid in the country, second language. It's, it's not easy. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty hard, but I'm fighting, you know. I'm, like, working hard to achieve my goals. I am very, very, you know, thankful college and all that. And, well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You can see and hear more of Alex's story in Starry Story Night Libra, available on our YouTube channel. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production by Stephen Baldessari. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. 
Story Story Night is a member of the Boise Arts and Culture Anti-Racism Coalition, which builds on our commitment to be a platform where people tell their own stories. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. 